Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Melitzis. I'm here with Kerry Aleveld. And today we are going to be talking about the Republican Party brand as they start talking about the things they think they should be talking about in the House. We're going to see what exactly that is and how that really impacts the 2024 election cycle. And, and Carrie and I think we need to go out on a limb to say that our, our theory is that they're screwing it up already. So, <laughs> so we're going to talk Sh- about- Shocker. Shocker. <laughs> and, you know, you want we're partisan, of course, but we're also reality based and. I can say that objectively they are screwing this thing up. And and Carrie's been writing about it at Daily Coast. She's got numbers she's going to throw at us, polling. I mean, it's it's not just us. It, it's, it's quite the shit show. We talked a little bit about it last week. It's going to be entertaining. Carrie, yes. the House is going to be entertaining, and they can't help themselves. The Republican no. Party cannot help themselves. But before we do that, I want to touch on um, the Martin Luther King holiday, that was this week. There is this sort of weird effort in white America to sort of whitewash what Martin Luther King was all about and really strip out the, the, the meaning of MLK's words and actions. And this is it's become a sort of a, a day of a day of service. And Martin Luther King wasn't obviously service was a part of his message, but really, that's not the core of Martin Luther King was all about. And sort of really cutting to the core of that is poor Bangor Daily News. I mean, they, they stepped on it this week, but they've been stepping on it since 2009. They've been rerunning every MLK Day this editorial where they basically ran a edited version of, of MLK's uh, I Have a Dream speech. And... The tweet this year, <laughs> the tweet this year from the Bangor Daily News, you know, said editorial colon, as we mark the 94th birthday of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., we should take a step away from our divisive politics and recall his defining speech. Then they basically, I mean, it's a newspaper. You have to edit down. I mean, that's, that's, that's you know, understandable, but they just seem to edit down every part of it. <laughs> that had any real sort of hefter meaning. And, and Carrie, if you would indulge me, I'm going to, I'm going to quote part of the speech that they left out because I think it's one of the most, um, one of the most critical parts of that speech. And so this is MLK. When the architects of our Republic wrote the magnificent words of the constitution and the declaration of independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as our citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring the sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. So that was edited out amongst you know, calls on police brutality, on poverty. So basically anything that was, quote, divisive was edited out. And then they, they talked about, like, we must remember what he was all about in spite of all this divisiveness. Martin Luther King was not loved in his time. He was the very definition of divisive. The historian Kevin Cruz on Twitter ran a poll from uh who was this poll but this is from the march of washington 
uh, oh, Gallup, Gallup, August 1963, only 23% of Americans had a favorable opinion of Martin Luther King's rally on Washington. And in fact, the Bangor Daily News, the same newspaper that now wants us to cast aside the divisiveness and really look at what MLK stood for, their own editorial during the March of Washington chastised MLK for being divisive. So I'm not sure there's a lot of discussion there, Carrie. <laughs> I mean, I just, we were discussing this just ahead of, of the show. And I'm just, I, I mean, obviously they got in the routine of doing this at one point. They decided in 2009 somehow that editing it down in this way was smart. And they, you know, they run a lot of editorials, apparently. They actually ran an apology after after this came to light. Um, so, what, a couple days ago or something? No, yes, today. Today? They ran an Twitter apology. Yesterday or, yeah. Um, they, I mean, it was yeah. Monday they ran the editorial. So what yeah, they right. Today? So they must have run the apology today. So, you know, I, and, it, and in there, they said that they had they had been doing it this way since 2009. So some someone at some point in 2009, they edited down the speech. They, they run it with a bunch of editorials every year on MLK Day to sort of honor him. You know, they got the routine of doing this and just sort of never questioned it until they were in the spotlight. And they said, you know, it was one thing to have Kevin Cruz bring it to light and have it kind of blow up. And then it gets a hit on MSNBC. Um, Joy Reid talks about it. You know, then they said they heard from like they, they, they said that was one thing. But then we heard from, you know, a Portland, like a Congress person and a local city council person and something like that. And they realized this is, this is really bad. It's like, I don't. They felt like they had been a victim of the initially of the outrage machine. And I get that. But like, I don't know how much soul searching it takes to realize when you've cut out the promissory note, <laughs> you know, that maybe you've gone awry. Like, I'm not a student of, you know, I've read some MLK speeches. I appreciate him. I've, you know, I've, I've read things about him, but I'm not a student necessarily of like all his speeches. But the promissory note is like... This is like one of the pivotal moments of that speech. And I just don't know how they could have gotten to a place where they were like, yeah, we'll just toss that part out. The idea that that America, you know, made it gave a promissory note and and it had it, it had insufficient funds for black Americans. I mean, that is like it's like the it's like the crux of the speech. Anyway, I, I don't know. Maybe it was it was divisive and we must look beyond the divisiveness uh, of the time. But it does sort of speak to to the importance of challenging conventional wisdom and fighting for what's right and having that deep moral conviction to know that the fight is worth having when seven, three quarters of Americans did not approve of, of your actions. And <laughs> I, just, I just had to stop. We're going to be talking yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah. popular Republicans in, this, in the House. And this, they think they're that. They think oh, come they're on. moral crusaders. Do you, really, do you really think that they think they're that? Marjorie Taylor Greene, the dumb ones, the really dumb ones, not 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 Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy is just a cynical a-hole, maybe. But but really sort of speaks towards this broader trend towards sanitizing MLK. It's it's you know, why can't we all come together like MLK wanted us? Because he, he had a dream that we were all singing Kumbaya together. And why can't we go to that? And it's that that's not what MLK was. And I just think it's sort of important as a as a lesson to be learned in this week that that that's not what MLK was about that he was about fighting for what he believed was was true and uh and that's why he's one of the great figures in world history 
And we are so blessed as a country to, to have had him um, for the time that we were blessed to have him. So, um, yeah, let's not, let's not pretend that he was all about everybody coming together. He, yeah. he, <laughs> he was divisive. He was, he was, because as we know, unfortunately, divisiveness really isn't the same definition that you think. Divisiveness isn't, oh, things that come between people. Divisiveness is people not wanting to hear sometimes what the truth is. And they'd rather live in ignorance, stick their head in their sand, pretend that everything's okay. That's, that's, that's divisiveness. There's, there's two kinds. And there's a distinction there between what MLK did. And we can transition to talking about the Republican House because that's a different kind of divisiveness. That's not about exposing the truth. That's not about having Americans confront their moral failings and that, um, that uncashed check, the insufficient funds check. That's not about that. The kind of divisiveness we see in the U.S. House today is about pitting people against each other. It's about demagoguing. It's about winning votes by hating on other people. So, Kerry, the Republican Party ran on inflation and lower gas prices. So what's what's going on in the House? <laughs> well, now that they've fixed that, they're moving on. They've moved on to other things. I mean, let's just let's start. Let's start here just to acknowledge before, you know, they've had like, you know, they've had two weeks. They haven't done much. They're home now, you know, resting on their laurels, I guess. I don't know. But um, they've got a week off, week and a half off, something like that. So. Ooh, thank they, God. That was, that yeah, was... Oh, thank God. I mean, frankly, I feel better that with them out of um, right. Washington, <laughs> I, I feel relaxed. I feel good. Um, I just, I was thinking, I, well, I read a Paul Krugman piece this morning in the New York Times, you know, he's a New York Times sort of progressive economist, et cetera, very smart. And what he was pointing out was, you know, already like the economy is so much better than it was last November. Of course, this has nothing, zero to do with anything Republicans have done. It's all what Democrats did and what Joe Biden, the Biden administration has done. Gas prices are coming down. Prices overall are coming down. Inflation is coming down. Um, the job market is still strong. The unemployment rate is is low. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly how many people, but over two hundred thousand people entered the job, came off the sidelines to enter the job market last month, and the the unemployment rate still hit a historic low of three point something percent last week. I mean, I'm just working off the top of my head. Yeah, it's what was it? Year, it's a fifty year low. 50 year low, right? So that means that everybody who came off the sidelines to try to get a job you know, got absorbed into the job market. That's how strong the job market still is. Consumer confidence is getting better it, by several measures. I mean, I, you can look at civics polling and consumer confidence. Um, they're rating the economy better. Um, the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Index uh, survey is uh, is up 8% since last month. People are starting to have a better perception of the economy. And Paul Krugman said, you know, it's quite possible that if that if this the election had been held now instead of three months ago, Democrats might have held the House. I mean, that's how much better the perceptions of the economy are. House Republicans haven't done anything. So I just I just want to be clear that, like, Democrats need to take credit for this. It's Democrats who passed the Inflation Reduction Act. It's Democrats who 
helped Americans through a tough time. It's Democrats who lowered the price of certain medical things like insulin, uh, drug costs, et cetera. It's Democrats who uh, who helped do things, well, particularly the White House, helped do things to lower gas prices. Um, it It is Democrats who over and over again, they, they bolstered businesses. They they invest. They got this historic investment in uh, manufacturing, in um, in microchip manufacturing. So you know, all of these things are things that Democrats did before Republicans came in. And if there's one th- overriding thing that was true last year that has been true for decades, is despite you know Trump basically during the COVID running the country into the ground um, at epic loss of jobs. Um, despite George W. Bush leaving the economy in a shambles to Barack Obama, consumers still seem to think that Republicans are better um, at the economy. And they have thought that for decades. And we could write in chapter and verse about why that's not true, but it's something that they think. And, you know, I um, uh, Simon Rosenberg was sort of on this train of we need to we need to make sure that we chip into this idea, chip away at this idea that somehow Republicans are better for the economy. It's clear now, um, once again, that Democrats have been better for this economy. We've got a strong jobs market, low unemployment, consumer prices coming down, confidence going up. And Democrats need to start now taking credit for that. Um, We don't know where it will be in a year, but we just need to start building the case for all the things that they they did to try to make this come true. And it can't be a wait and see. Let's wait and see where the economy is because Republicans will take credit for it. No, absolutely. There's uh, been sort of an assumption given the high inflation rate and the aggressive actions of the Fed in raising interest rates. And I think home mortgages are around the 6% mark which historically compared to the teens of the 70s isn't crazy high, but it's still, we were used to two to 3%. So it's been a bit of a shock. There, there was this sort of assumption that we would have a recession, that a recession, it was almost a done deal. Yet every month we look at the job reports and the job reports still show strong job growth and, and retention and inflation's coming down. And, and for the first time now within the last couple of weeks, I'm seeing economists start really seriously talking about the idea of a, <clears throat> excuse me, the idea of a soft landing, soft landing, quote unquote. So you get the inflation down to where they want to, which is two to 3% annual. And yet job growth remains strong. We don't fall into the rece- recession. If Democrats manage to do that, it would be a, a an accomplishment of, of probably of historic proportions economically. And so for sure, you already want to talk about the accomplishments so far, where we are, how we got here. And, uh, and prepare the way for, for that argument next year because we just had the midterm election. You think, oh, we get some breathing room? Not really. The 2024 elections has, has already started. You're already seeing Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis sniping at each other. The sort of defining parameters of this debate are starting to, to come out, right? And so it was in the midterm election. It was supposedly the Republicans talked about crime, inflation, price of gas. That was their thing. They lost because the Republic, the Democratic counterargument ended up being stronger, which was Donald Trump and the Republican Party has lost its marbles and the Republican Party is coming after our rights, including uh, not just abortion, 
but in a decision that really made clear that the Supreme Court may take, may uh, target things like like contraception, marriage equality, and other rights that we hold and cherish deeply. Uh, sodomy, you know, anti-sodomy laws, the, that this sort of thing that Clarence Thomas yeah. and, and his friends what, would love. To what you back. do in your bedroom is your business. I mean, that's that's the type of thing they're going after. What you do in your bedroom is your business, not not in the Republican Party. So what was amazing about the the that debate is that they had to make up their issues. Right. I mean, inflation wasn't made up, but it was clear that it was not because of Democrats or Joe Biden. The entire world, the global economy was inflationary after the shutdowns, two, three years of shutdowns because of COVID. Everybody saved yeah. money. They sat at home. They did nothing. Boom, everything opens up. People are spending. Uh, and that's what fueled global inflation. Furthermore, crime, there was no, the whole crime narrative was completely invented. Crime was nowhere, you know, it wasn't out of the ordinary. It was definitely not in any kind of historic heights. It was completely a Fox News uh, media creation. And well, was the other issue they oh gas prices you know same thing it was it was gas companies like you know notching record revenues because they were gouging they were using inflation as an excuse to make a lot of money and I actually think they also wanted to damage Democrats I mean because those oil executives want Republicans in charge that's who they're funding so they had a completely made up narrative ours was real Donald Trump and uh, abortion so what do they lead off what do they lead with once they take narrow control of the house anti-abortion legislation and uh what was the other thing oh and they're t you know talking about investigating hunter biden's penis and uh what else are they talking about i mean well they sp they spent a week on a on a on a house on a leadership fight too <laughs> you know it was like on day one we're gonna spend five days doing a leadership <laughs> fight <laughs> <laughs> nothing about gas prices, nothing about inflation, nothing about crime. They are doing the things we said they would do because our narrative was true. And they can't even pretend to do the things they were talking about. It's actually quite stark. And this, I think, will have consequences moving forward. Marcos, you, you, you'll be happy to know that there's already polling on this. Aren't you happy oh, to know that? Very yeah. <laughs> so, so they ran on lowering uh, cost of groceries and gas prices, right? Republicans did. That was one of their big things. Well, guess what? Uh, Navigator Research, it's a progressive consortium of, of pollsters, laid out, uh, I think, let's see, six, yeah, six, different, six different messages uh, it, to voters on what they were most, most interested in having Congress address. And you would be interested to know that 58%, that was the biggest percentage, that was the number one issue, want Congress to focus on lowering costs like groceries and gas. Okay, well, well that's that what they the ran Republican on, campaign. right? Okay. Okay. So let's lead off with investigating Hunter Biden, because that's what, that's what they've led off with. And guess out of the six, what that was. A hundred percent. In terms of what voters wanted them to focus on, it got 14%. 14, and that's so not what, even their core 30%. No, that's what, and that's what they led with. They led with that. So, you know, you go down the list, it's uh, the top one was lowering costs of gas, gas and groceries. Um, next one was 32% improving health care. Um, 30% cracking down on illegal immigration um, and securing the southern border, something like 26% dealing with the national debt, and then 24% 
protecting American security against aggressors like Russia and China, and then 14% investigating Hunter Biden's laptop, or as you like to say, his penis. <laughs> That's when, when people talk <laughs> about Hunter Biden's laptop, they're talking That's about right. the campaign asking Twitter to remove its contents because really what it was all about was salacious pictures of Hunter Biden's penis. I'm, you think I'm exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. No. This is not me being clever and funny. It is literally what was on that laptop. Nothing else. So that's what they're talking about. They're trying to make it like Hillary Clinton's emails where people are like, but her emails. And then you ask, what about them? And they have no clue because there's there's nothing yeah. wrong with her emails. They're trying to create the Hunter Biden laptop as this catch all. Ooh, there's there's stuff in there. Really, it was Hunter Biden dick pics, and nobody wants to see those. Literally, like literally, no one wants to see those except Republicans in the House. Apparently, Republicans do have kind of a weird obsession with what people are doing in the bedroom. I mean, truly, truly it's weird not obsession. A winning fight. So you have a caucus that the Republican caucus that I, I think understands most of this. I don't think this is shocking news to them. I think they can read polling and see like, yeah, people want to talk about inflation and gas prices. Like, I think they get that. The problem they have, the result of this five-day leadership battle and how many votes, 15, 16? I think it was, that, I think it was 15 rounds. Is that Kevin McCarthy basically gave control of the House to the Freedom Caucus, to the nihilist wing of the Repo Republican Party that doesn't really care about inflation or gas prices. They, they represent districts that are so red that there's no concern about real world problems. Their constituents are the Fox News type and, and they're happy to see, to see Marjorie Taylor Greene ranting about uh, Dr. Fossey and how now everybody knows that the vaccines were a scam and that they hurt people. I mean, this is stuff that they're saying now and it doesn't track with what people want. Congress to talk about. It doesn't track with reality for sure. And it makes the entire party look absolutely bonkers. It, yet McCarthy, to be speaker, he surrendered the chance to sort of brand his party as problem solvers in order to, to uh, protect his own skin, to protect his own ass. And he gave power to these people. And, and so this is what the Republican Party stuck with. They gave control of ways and means to Freedom Caucus. They have, you know, all their, their worst people are on, you know, investigative committees. That's what's going to drive the narrative. And, and so much as a, quote, moderate Republicans may want to, like, you know, break away and work with Democrats to do things like, like make sure that there's no national default, you know, that right. they'll raise the debt limit. Uh, they may work on spending bills. In the end, people aren't going to see that. They're going to see the loudest Republican voices because they dominate. They dominate Fox News. They dominate the online world. I remember when, when Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, when they were elected, they sort of tried to style themselves after the squad, right? Alexandria Casio, you know, mm -hmm. um, Cortez. Yep. And, yep. and, you know, the-, the Ayanna Presley and- Ilya uh, Oman. Yeah, right, um, exactly. At least our squad, I mean, yeah, they vote against, I mean- the, the the majority on some issues, but they pick their battles and they keep their battles in the ideological uh, sort of in the debate going on in, in Congress. Right. So they weren't going they had the votes probably to stymie Nancy Pelosi had had they wanted to undermine her reelection as Speaker of the House. But they didn't. Right. They worked within that system. And that's what they're doing. They're working within the system. 
you know, casting statement votes here and there when, when, when the opportunity's there, but they never really undermine the caucus. These nihilists, these Republican nihilists, this Freedom Caucus, they, they don't care. They don't care about yeah. the party. They don't care about Kevin McCarthy. They don't care about Americans. They are, they are so stuck in the, they need to burn everything down because of deep state that they are undermining their entire party. And this is, we're going to get, we're going to get two years of this. The absolute difference between the squad and, and what the nihilists are doing is that the squad was actually, is actually interested in helping people, is actually interested in using the government as a tool to get things done for Americans. Right. The, the nihilists are at the GOP nihilists are are merely interested in just shutting everything down in just tearing things apart in feeding the worst in- instincts of their of the aggression and unhappiness and and anger that their constituents feel. They're like hostage takers, but they actually don't want to bargain for anything. They, no. they just want to take the hostage. You know yeah. what I mean? Like taking the hostage is good enough. So you can give them anything they want. And they're like, yeah, I, I, actually, I just wanted to take the hostage. <laughs> right. I, I you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't care. I, you know, I'm not trying to like get more jobs in my area or help people with medical costs or, you know, help them with childcare or make their lives better. I just wanted to take the hostage because, you know, that's what it's about for me. And that's what fundraising is about for me. Um, so that's it. That's what you've got. That and that's that's what's driving the Republican Party right now, and and will be driving them for two years. And you just have to wonder, like we started off talking about how much better the economy is. You just to put a fine point on what you were saying about the recession. I was looking at polling of what people thought of the economy just before they took a vote last fall. And CNN had a poll in early November and found that that uh, 76% of Americans actually believed the economy was in recession. I mean, that's why Paul Krugman says, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, right? And it's still not in recession, but there had been so much talk about there might be a recession and, you know, probably Republicans were saying there is a recession and all that. And 76, three quarters of this country thought that the country was in a recession and we weren't. We were not. So that's why Paul Krugman could say, well, gee, maybe if we held the, the uh, you know, election right now, Democrats might have actually kept the House. But in any case, what, you know what you we started out the the podcast talking about how much better shape we're already in in terms of the economy and uh, things coming back. Then you've got what you're going to get is. Democrats who have been, and they just need to carry this message forward, highly effective. It seems that what they did when they held the reins in a trifecta, right, of of the Senate, the House, and the White House, the policies that they enacted have actually helped the American people, have actually seemed to appear to have steadied the economy. Things are getting better. We might have the soft landing, right? And then at the same time, you're going to have these House Republicans that are just I I don't even think we are prepared for how off the hook they're going to be. Right. I don't think we're prepared for how crazy this is going to get. Remember when remember when Trump won and we were all like in 2016, we were all like, God, I know it's going to be bad, but like. I don't know if I know how bad it's really going to be. I mean, we and had no we, idea. I mean, we, we, we were thought right. it's going to be bad. And we were like at 20% of how bad it actually ended. But 20% of how bad it actually was. <laughs> I mean, we couldn't who fathom. was predicting? 
Who was predicting we were going to have literally that the president of the United States was going to lead an insurrection, a coup attempt on the U.S. seat of government and try to get lawmakers killed? I mean, that's what that's what happened and and sit in the Oval Office and watch the whole thing unfold and not not lift a damn finger. I mean, that's how bad it got. And I I admit, as bad as I thought it was going to get, I had no idea that was coming. None. So I think we've got a similar thing that's going to happen. You also didn't know that the world was a pandemic on top of everything to really test Trump's ability to lead. And and boy, did he fail that one. Yeah. So 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 we're going to have this these, you know, split screens of what the Republicans are doing and what Democrats did and plan to do. I was looking at Ron DeSantis today. He was doing some new crazy stunt where he was like giving he was giving the, a speech that it was in front in, of, of a flag that kind of looks like the Confederate flag. I mean, I guess it's the Florida state flag, but it looks just a little bit. He's standing in front of that. He's talking about he says he actually says in a speech that that the the bivalent booster shot people who got that are more likely to get infected. I just want to say there's no evidence of this, zero evidence, okay? This is just a total lie that they're more likely to get infected than people who haven't gotten it, okay? That's just not true. Apparently it's not absurd. true at all. Apparently absurd. No, it's, it's, it's completely absurd. And, you know, he's got, he, he, he's talking about something about the deep state and blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, you know, it's possible that he is overplaying his hand. And but the, by the time we get done with a year and a half of House Republicans pulling this crazy, you know, just dumbass nihilistic stuff. I just wonder if, you know, voting majorities are going to have clearly had enough and not be real excited even about Trump light, which is what he's trying to do. And what happens if, you know, if 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 MAGA Republicans are kind of on an island by the time we get there, you know, I mean, I just, I remember when Scott Walker was, was going to be the second coming Scott Walker yeah, in 2016 was, um, he was right. Got former governor of Wisconsin. He was going to like win it all. Yeah. He was out of there. What by July or something like that. I yeah. I, I, I have out. real doubts about DeSantis's ability to yeah. weather the national glare he, he's, yeah. he's basking in fox news right now and here's this is another factor that that actually this this it reminds reminds me that not only are you going to have the nihilist caucus in the house doing their thing but you're going to have all the republican presidential candidates cheering them on because they're all trying to appeal to that primary vote they're all trying to go for that trump vote so it's actually going to create this sort of self-reinforcing circle of doom <laughs> for them. So Carrie, you know, a year and a half ago, we were very early on from the very beginning of the cycle. We said that the 2022 election was going to revolve around abortion rights because we saw the Supreme court decision coming and that it was going to revolve around Trump because we couldn't have a referendum on the incumbent president. If the old president didn't get off the stage. Right. And in that referendum on Trump was about democracy. It was about the, the rightward shift of the Republican Party and its descent into QAnon, conspiracy theory madness. So that in the theory played out, like it, it worked out. So, you know, we can pat ourselves in the back and talk about how, you know, how smart we are. Now we got to look ahead, though. So here, here's what I'm, I'm, I'm guessing is that, again, the election's going to be a choice. Clearly. I mean, let me go out on a limb. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, Marcos, you're just yeah, you're right. out there. Come on back. It's going to be a choice, but it's, it's, it's still going to be the same choice. It's going to be Biden sort of boring centrism versus versus MAGA 
right? Because it's going to be a MAGA candidate, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's DeSantis, they're going to be singing from that same choir book. And I don't know if there's a thing as MAGA light. I mean, DeSantis may try to to make that argument in a general election. I don't even think he can. I think he's going to be so trapped into that vortex of, of deplorables that if he gets to the to the general election, he'll be he'll be trapped there. I think it's going to be we're going to be able to expand the the battle beyond abortion. I think it's going to be about our bedroom right, you know, right to privacy. And I know, Carrie, this is a big theme of yours. You've been talking about this for a while. I think there's a huge opportunity to go there. And Republicans are going to do everything possible to help us make that case. They're not yeah. going to be able to help them. So even Donald Trump was saying, like, we're, we're too radical on abortion. And he got slammed by his own by his own people. I mean, they know it's they know how it hurts them. I don't think they can do anything about it. Yeah. Um, they're going to be know, talking about gas stoves and other <laughs> cancel culture nonsense, um, I mean, which has zero salience with with the general public. They're going to be talking about conspiracy theories about how the I've been seeing a lot of talk, including Ron Johnson, who's like, now nah, we know that Fossey was a crook and that the that the vaccines hurt us it, it was it was more dangerous than everybody admitted most people got the vaccines most people are fine i mean it's these are like nonsense it's like saying aha taking aspirin you know now we know that aspirin can kill you and people are like what uh, yeah taking aspirin or advil or tylenol it's not these are not arguments that resonate inflation no. is going to be tamed so they're not going to be able to make that inflation argument i can see oil companies trying to raise prices again artificially to try to hurt Republicans. But Joe Biden learned that you just politically release petroleum from the strategic reserves to get the prices down. So I actually, and if there's a global downturn, which China right now is not looking to be in good shape, India is looking creaky. If those major economies falter, the global demand for oil will also drop, which will have an effect. So there's a lot of moving pieces on that front. So I'm not sure what their substantive argument will be. And we can still, Joe Biden made a, did a great job as much as he was mocked by the pundits, did a great job framing the midterm election as an election about democracy Mm -hmm. and Mm self-determination. And that argument will be just as salient, but we'll have the benefit of presidential year democratic based turnout, which we didn't have in this midterm. So I think it's going to be, I, I actually like our chances. Oh, I like our chances well. a lot with the well, exception the of the Senate. The Senate sucks, but beyond that, <laughs> was that? Yeah, no, I was going to say, I was like, I like our chances with the exception of the Senate. And you were like, yeah, the map in the Senate sucks. Yeah. But the house map. Good. I mean, we've got, you know, 18 seats there that are held by Republicans that Biden won. Um, I'm, I would like to, so there's a couple things I want to say. I want to try to come up with, and I am, you know, you can at me, um, at my, uh, at, at my Twitter account at Carrie Elleveld or whatever, but I would like to come up with some sort of phrase that we can just like sweep stuff like cancer culture, cancel culture and, uh, gas stoves and stuff. Just off, like CRT. Yeah. Race CRT, theory. Right? We need, we need a di- dismissive phrase for that. It's like, Oh, here, it co- here, here they go again. You know, we need the, here they go again phrase for that so that we can just get past that really quickly. We can dismiss it as like, cause 
cancel culture ended up not, you know, they spent a lot of time talking about CRT and cancel culture. Cancel culture ended up like it wasn't even a blip. So I think we need to come up with something. I think gas stoves is going to be exactly like that. This whole, I don't even, I can't even understand what the gas stove controversy. Please don't tell me. I don't even want to know. So, you know, I was like. The irony, I I will get into it, but the irony is that gas stoves are prevalent in liberal cities and most of red America uses electric. Oh, well, there you go. It's terrible. So So I think we just need to come up with some phrase that just quickly dismisses that. So that we can move on to talking about the things that matter and we define the things that matter and the things that matter are what Democrats did for the economy, what Democrats did for average Americans in terms of health costs, in terms of their pocketbook, in terms of making their lives better and what Democrats plan to do. Um, I also want to I also want to hold out. I know you're convinced that Joe Biden's running. I think Joe Biden's convinced that he's running. Okay, so I don't want to. I'm not. (laughs) Well, I just want to make the announcement that I carry all about running for president. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, is that it's possible that he won't run. And who knows what that reason would be? I'm not suggesting that there should be a primary battle if he decides to run. Okay, if he decides to run, he should run. But I don't want anybody to be thinking, oh, God, what do we do if Joe Biden decides not to run for whatever reason? You never know if there's like a health reason that comes up or whatever. You know, who knows? Uh, We've got so much talent on the bench. We've got so many people. We've got everyone from John Fetterman to Josh Shapiro uh, to Gretchen Whitmer to Gavin Newsom. I'm a Gretchen Whitmer partisan. So if if I think. uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, totally. I I would say. I'm from Michigan and I think she worked magic there. I mean, I don't live there now, but that's, that's my home stopping grounds. Um, But also think about like Raphael Warnock. Raphael Warnock is a super attractive candidate. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. know if he's even thinking about it, but like, man, is he, you know, no, we have a deep bench. I'm not worried about our bench. Right. We're not worried about it. I, I just think it would be, you know, I don't want anyone to worry about if he doesn't run. Cause for, there seemed to be some, mistaken thing in the media last year. It was like, well, what would Democrats do? They don't even have anyone. Like, oh, you know, okay. I mean, Kamala Harris is vice president. I mean, she would have to run again and like make the case for herself. Yeah. But yeah, like, yeah. you know, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of people and I, I'm not worried about that a bit. So I'm happy to take on what, whoever they have in, in 2024. <laughs> no, really? So Carrie, that is our show for today. Thank you so very much. Thanks to Walter, our engineer. Thanks to everybody behind the scenes that helps make the show work. Paul and Dorothy and Kara. I think that's for our side. And thanks to you, the reader, the listener, the viewer. Thanks for joining us in this battle for our democracy. You can read more of Carrie and some of me and a lot of other great writers at dailycoast.com. You can also check in. We always talk about civics polling. You can actually go. There's a lot of great, great polling. You can sort by a lot of these questions. You can sort by state by demographics that's at civics with a q c-i-v-i-q-s dot com civics with a q uh and you can check us out here every week in our past podcast thank you so much for joining us love and appreciate you catch you next week 